these, these, this unraveling occurs when people go into the in a throes of addiction. Uh, I just, you know, a couple of stories in with me, because I have a free clinic in one of the clinics that I do, and I get just about everything that comes through. And there was a, a young girl who came in, and she was coming in because she had, uh, had been raped, and there was issues, but she also suffered from massive back pain, a prior surgery, and was addicted to opioids that no one's prescribing anymore, and now she's uh, up through heroin and she has a drug buddy and I didn't know she was coming to me because she was raped because she was coming to the primary care physician to be seen for rape. I was getting it referred to me from the room next door and walked in because of back pain from a post-surgical issue. And when she said what she was actually there for, I did that thing you never do. I leaned in and I was like, well, did you report, like, what did you, did you, did you report? And as I'm doing it, I'm like, Gee, what are you doing? You just blamed her. And she looked and smiled. She's like, oh, Dr. Rose, you don't understand. Like, I'm 22 years old. I'm 95 pounds. When I go and buy my stuff, they take advantage of me, and I just rip somebody off to get the money to do it. And now I don't get the drug that I need. So if I don't bring a drug buddy with me, I can't get what I get. And that he takes advantage of me and I don't have a choice right after we make the purchase. It's not my, you know, what am I supposed to do? Like, I, uh, I, went, I remember going home. It's like, I'm like that little kid that's like kicking the ground when he comes, he wants to say something to his parents. And I sit down and I'm at dinner. My wife's looking at me like, okay, what happened today? And I cried for about an hour because that's just not good, especially when you're in it, probably too deep into it. And then, of course, we had one, another patient who was the, a, that, that stole his mother's wedding ring and hocked it so he had enough money to go. So these type of stories that you see how the secondary effects of this condition, it's not just that we have a problem with an opioid crisis, it's the rest of society that's breaking down as a result of it. Um, this was the story from what that same patient that I was talking about. And without reading through the whole thing, it was basically, look, I feel so damn horrible. I don't do it to get high anymore. I do it because I'm sick. I can't stand how I feel. I have to do it to stay feeling like a human being. And I don't even belong here anymore. In fact, she buys enough to take enough to hope to overdose because she wants it out of her system and be out of the hair of the people that she loves who she thinks she's hurting. So mental health contributing factors to this. Uh, mental health, if you look at overlays of what's occurring, there's this, the line of mental health, anxiety and depression diagnoses that have scaled up, they follow the same exact pattern as the prescribing of these medications. Now, over 50% of the addicted, that number is higher, that's an old stat, have an associated uh, mental health issue. Uh, diagnosis of anxiety parallel, 24-hour news cycle, social media, competitive success syndrome, cyberbullying, false sense of community, rap park. What does that all mean? It's like, we're not what we were before. How many people grew up with three or four family members that had houses within, you know, 20 minutes of your block, your tribe? You had your tribe, like you had your family or close friends. And we don't see that anymore. And you can have a thousand people. I have too many Facebook friends. 
But nobody shows up when I, I need a helping hand except a handful of those family members. People have this false sense of what their community is like. Um, Rat Park is an interesting thing. I'll just tell it to you briefly. The study, if you look it up too, you can see some of the information on that. There was a single rat that's placed in a cage and there's a bottle of water and a bottle with morphine-laced water. So that single rat in isolation eventually goes to both and then to the morphine and then does it so much it overdoses and dies. Rat Park is a, is a room the size of this with a couple of hundred rats, spin wheels, they can have intimacy, plenty of food. It's like utopia for the rat, right? So the same two bottles are placed in there. They go to the morphine-laced bottle once twice only by accident and never return to it again. Like, that's pretty big. Why would I want to change my sense of utopia? I have what I need. Why would I change that? They don't. But the isolated rat in a cage doesn't want to be alone. There's nothing left for that person except changing or altering that perception of reality. And they will go to that laced bottle over and over and over until they're gone. The Great Depression was terrible. Everybody's depressed, right? Then World War II happens, the economic boom flows, and you want to talk about happy people. The economy went through the roof, and what happened? We had the baby boomer population. So we were real happy. We were having like five, six kids at a clip. Right. Um, so you had these larger families, the tribe was big, there's not, we have almost no recorded, there was heroin, there was these type of things around for a thousand years. It's not like it didn't exist before, but we never had this ramped up overuse. But family sizes are smaller. Now we're at 1.2, I think it's 1.1 now, the new statistics in the United States, children per household. People are off to college and your tribe shrinks because their daughter goes to college somewhere and stays where she went because she likes it wherever she went. And now you don't even have that part of your tribe. Um, faith-based organizations, to, I don't, not, uh, whatever faith base you have, statistically take a look at how many people show up for services. There's no such thing as faith. Lack of social trust, turn on the television. If I hear the name Kavanaugh one more time, I am going to hurl. There's no trust with anything. And by the way, if I ever run for office, you have permission to dig as deep as you want, and I will never make it anywhere. <laughs> uh, you just have to, you, I got some nicknames I'll have, I'll even give you, you can write them down. Google that so you have the proof because there's some crazy stuff out there. Um, <laughs> so lack of feel-good chemicals, same person, different, different results. So I'm a mother of three, and I'm walking down the steps in my house. I fall on the last one. I twist my ankle. It looks like an elephant entered to my leg. I go to the emergency room. I get a 30-day supply of Oxy or, or Percocet, whatever they give, and I am a happy camper, I'm happily married, I vacation 10 times a year, my kids are brilliant. We don't, there's nothing wrong. They take one of those prescription pills and feel so disgusting, tired, shot, like not functioning and worried about the family and their children. She won't go back and take the next one. She moves to something different because that just destroyed her. The same person is abused by her husband, just lost her job for the third time in 90 days, can't put food on a table for those three kids, takes the same medication and says, 
wow, the pain's gone, and I don't give a shit about anything. Excuse my French. That's the mental health side of what we're looking at. Now, how many people in general are suffering from depression and anxiety, whether even you have a good life? So there's three ways this balances. It's like I have a lousy life and I need to replace it with something that alters it. Or I'm an athlete or I'm somebody who's going to follow the rules. I got hurt and I'm just going to take this. So that's chemical dependency because you take it and it's, you chemically get dependent on it. Um, so that, that different aspect of why we should look at the person as a whole. Medicine never does it. I talked to a couple of physicians because we we're, we're integrated in several clinics. And it's like, doc, it's like three minutes for me to write a script, but 30 to explain why I shouldn't give it to him. Like, what, what the hell are you talking about? Give them to me. I'll take an hour with them. So what are the feel-good chemicals? Just to explain a little bit about what that mental health balance is and knowing who's in front of you and what type of patient it is. Dopamine, you know, we're, those chemicals you see listed on there, we're genetically superior than any other animal on Earth. Why? Because we've got this ability to produce certain chemicals that keep us alive. So dopamine, I'm the hunter of the tribe. I see the deer, dopamine. I get closer to the deer, more dopamine. I get closer, more dopamine. It's an incentive for me to get this thing to go back and feed my people. We're, it was created chemically in our system to find and get what we need to create a list and check it off, to do things, to proceed forward. It's why we have it. Oxytocin is going to get released when I feel good about what I did, serotonin, it, now I kill the animal and I get it back and then and you're gonna have endorphins released because it takes a lot for me to drag this deer back to my tribe. Serotonin is the feel-good camel, so now I walk into the tribe and I'm like, I got me a deer. It's 150 of us, we're gonna eat. So now I feel I got my serotonin, I'm, I, I did something, I'm important, people recognize me, I'm okay. Right now, MRI my brain and it's on fire. Oxytocin is more of the touch, feel, what we do in practice. You actually release a lot of it. It's more with intimacy. You know, now I got the deer back, everybody's happy. I could pick who I, I have somebody I'm gonna be with tonight. I get a lot of oxytocin that gets released and that's released because it wants to have intimacy so you could reproduce the species. So you have the, the God-given ability to make all these things naturally because we wanna survive, that's why it's there. The cortisol comes in, we're stressed, we're depressed. Cortisol is supposed to be flight, fright, oh God, what just happened, let me, now the deer's after me, I gotta get out of here, <laughs> right? No, but now we do it every day because we're worried about every damn thing. And the cortisol knocks all those feel-good guys out of the way and we're now susceptible to say, I need some of those chemicals now, if I don't have them and I'm not producing them or I'm producing them but they're not sticking and I take something that jumps in, that's the difference of why we get this person who takes it and takes it and takes it versus somebody who takes it and says, I, I got plenty, I don't need you. Does everybody understand that? I don't wanna lose anybody. Mike, wanna take a break, yawn a little, or are we good, you with me? All right. Well, the dopamine response for sugar, there was tests done with cocaine and sugar, and the MRI results of the dopamine response from sugar is hot, much higher than cocaine. So if you don't think you're addicted to sugar, 
I know how people are addicted to sugar because when there's a chocolate bar in the house and I'm next to my wife and I go to reach for it and it's the last piece, I ain't gonna make it. I, I mean, I, she, I will die that day. Um, obviously leads to obesity, cravings, anxiety, depression. The predisposition to dopamine surges, like I said. But now there's a vulnerability for higher dosing. So what happens is it may, your brain, again, we're going back to these chemicals were produced genetically to actually have so we survive. When you beat up those receptors so hard, the sugar actually makes those receptors dampen because we don't want to overstimulate. So the brain tries to play tricks and says, well, there's so much of it around, I'm going to kind of dampen the effect. So what happens with some of the people that take medications that, are sh that have a, a dependency on the sugar side is you need a higher amount of milligram or morphine equivalent in order to get this, the result of the, of the medication. So those people that have a higher level of addiction to sugar, we're finding now in studies that they actually creep up that chain of, I need more. It was one a day, 10 milligrams. It's now three times a day, 10 milligrams. I need 30 milligram pills and the morphine equivalents are going through the sky. So, you know, we could point back to the, and if you, again, that scale of looking at, okay, what went wrong? So 40 years ago, 50 years ago, sugar, like, it wasn't in everything. We didn't have processed foods. It didn't, it was available, but we didn't have it. I mean, I don't remember the obesity rate back then was just, didn't really, not the same numbers at all. Anxiety, depression, same level. Then all of a sudden we introduce big pharma and they start taking over trying to fix everything. So we just continue to pollute ourselves. All these things overlap. And I have this two million year thing. So if I, this room, the length of the room we have right now, if I was to take a, this pen and put a, a dot at the end of the room, it's still not small enough to tell you how long we've been consuming processed sugar. So do you think genetically we're in, in, in any way, shape, or form built to be able to consume what we're consuming? No. So we're, we fall apart. And we predispose for, the, for what adds to the crisis. This is so sensitive. I mean, look at these things when sugar started. These things crack me up. I mean, look at his tricks. Tricks are habit forming. Thank heavens! Tricks are habit forming, thank heavens. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you know, what, what are you talking about? You said it, you just said it's habit forming. Oh, secondary economics effects, 600 billion a year. This is all the stuff as you list, the 20, like all the decrease in workforce, police, incarceration. Do you know how, does anybody have a statistics of what back pain numbers are? What it costs? Just back pain, not pain, back pain. Almost equivalent. We're over a trillion dollars in economic downfall or healthcare costs or problems when it comes to back pain and the opioid crisis. Take every other country in the world and take how much money they spend per year and it doesn't even touch what we have in this crisis economically, the entire rest of the world. The origins of the epidemic, heightened attention to aggressively treat pain, fraudulent information about addiction to opioids, and then the pharma, big pharma government got in and started having little parties together and saying, well, how do we do this? You were brought up the 80s. Remember the, hot, the heyday of the 80s? You could bill whatever you want, you got reimbursed. Then 90s, all of a sudden, we have pain meds. 
what happens how we get reimbursed? Well, pharma squeezed in and said, cover this. This is easy. Give it to them and you're done. Physical therapy, chiropractic, acupuncture, what are you talking about? Behavioral medicine, you know how expensive that is? This is a joke, just write these things out. And then they went, and the only country in the world who's allowed to put a commercial on television about drugs is the United States. No one else is allowed to do that. <laughs>